0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast, where we discuss technology and finance, and that typically revolves around Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and blockchain. My name is Jonathan G. Blanco. I'm excited for my next guest. Uh, we've been uh, we've had the pleasure of having him at our uh, past conferences uh, in Seattle, the, the TF uh, Conference, and uh, he is the founder of Trust Wallet. Uh, with that, I'd love to welcome Victor Radchenko. And Victor, please introduce yourself to everybody.
1: Hey, Jonathan, it's nice to be here. Yeah, so I'm founder of Wallet, and for the past couple of years, I've been, you know, working on building a better wallet and better access for all the people in the world to access crypto. Um, right. You know, I've been struggling with this myself back in 2017, so I decided that we've got to change this for better.
0: Yeah, I'd love to just kind of dive into that really quickly. So um, how did you first get interested in the crypto space to decide that you wanted to create a, a wallet?
1: Yeah, so I think I heard about Bitcoin back in 2012 uh, from a friend who was asking for some help and he told me about like, you know, dark web and all that. So this is where I learned about like internet money as Bitcoin, but uh, getting myself dirty, like writing code and stuff, um, I think it was in 2017. So this is where I learned about ERC20 tokens and I thought, oh, this is really cool to have like digital assets, but I couldn't find any wallets on mobile. So I'm a mobile developer myself uh, and I was surprised that nothing existed So I thought, yeah, let's just build one and make it open source. So this is kind of how I started working on Trust Wallet.
0: That's great, Uh, that's great. And so, you know, before we get to um, that overall, I know you've been a a developer, uh, you know, for pretty much your whole uh, uh, adult, I guess you even did it through adolescence. You know, how did you kind of first get into engineering and then get into the mobile side of things? And, you know, um, tell us a little bit about that, kind of like that earlier journey. Yeah,
1: so I think I kind of split it into two uh, different lives for me. So one life when I was back in Ukraine, uh, when I was like, you know, studying, uh, going to university. Uh, this is where I started learning about like security uh, and how things work in general. So I wasn't really programming, I was learning how to use specific tooling, uh, writing like some small scripts uh, to like hack systems, um, but mostly on the wide side of things. Um, but then once I left Ukraine, I came to US and this is where kind of my mindset changed from, you know, like breaking things into actually building them. Uh, and I think it's totally different vision and thinking um, because when you work as a security person, you're trying to like break um, or like secure something, then you don't really see much value for what you're producing um, because, you know, you just need to make one mistake to break everything. So. Um, when you build, it's more creative in terms of just building different products and it kind of gives more value to the end person, uh, end person or user.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, so, uh, so you have quite a background in, you know, cybersecurity and, and that probably made kind of thinking through the cryptography of this, uh, probably felt natural to you. I'm assuming, you know, I, I'd love if you could kind of talk about how, um, that just plays a factor, right? How how secure a wallet, in fact, needs to be. You know, we hear about things all the time like hacks or, um, you know, people getting, um, uh, losing access to things perhaps because they forget. And, you know, I know a lot of that stuff is usually um, human intervention, more like uh, social hacking or, um, you know, basically just, Losing information, you know. Can can you just touch on that more from a broader strokes level, and then we can kind of talk about how you've uh, solved for some of those things with the with the trust wallet?
1: Yeah, totally. I think you know, security in general is such a broad term um, on what it applies to. And yeah, if you think about security of like crypto wallets, and there is lots of things you need to be taking care of, right? So if you think about like centralized wallets, then you need to always make sure that you you use you know, email and strong password. you use like two FAs for all the services that's possible. Then if you think about like decentralized wallets, then you think about, you know, having some private keys, recovery phrases, and this is where you gotta be really careful because, you know, uh, you stored those somewhere on your phone or they've written somewhere on the piece of paper. Um, so like one example would be like, is this secure to, you know, have a recovery phrase written on a piece of paper that could be lost pre- pretty easily, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's why, like, you want to be careful with those things, which is not related to technology at all, uh, even though, it, like, uh, pen and paper is also technology in some terms. But you got to be really careful because, you know, those pieces could be lost or someone just could throw them away. Uh, so you, so this is one part, right? And then there is a security part on, like, on mobile, right? Like, how do you make sure that security of your devices is, is secure on OS level? Like, how do you make sure iOS, you know, do better security? Um and then, how do you make sure you build an app that has all the security built in? Uh, you know, want to make sure you have like all the passcodes, ability to encrypt data, um, and those kind of layers of security that build up on this. And you know, we see in general, like in crypto, many different ways how people get creative in terms of like uh, hacking users. You know, that comes down mostly to user uh, faults. So either like social engineering, or people just you know forget about like setting some things that you know let other people to get advantage of them.
0: Right. Right. And, you know, we think about things like two factor authentication and, and how, um, you know, people can, can get even SIM swapped and things like that, uh, you know, from, from your point of view, and I, I'm assuming you have a pretty interesting, um, you know, viewpoint to this is, you know, one, why do we still use things like two factor auth- authentication if it's been known to you, um, I guess not be as secure as we think because of people doing things like SIM swapping and, and, and the sort.
1: Yeah. So I think SIM swapping is quite popular in the United States. I don't think that's the case in, in the different countries, but overall, I think the main um, problem is actually the weak part of all of this is, you know, people who are managing your phone number. So whenever you call to like at and or T-Mobile, there's people who are responsible for doing verification. Um, And this is the people who are making mistakes when they uh, sim swap to the wrong user. So usually what happens, like hackers, they will like contact, you know, those people who work at those uh, call centers and they will bribe all the people who work there to provide them information uh, when they need it. So they just basically find people they need to attack and they just tell them like, oh, here's a number you want to sim swap to. Um, I think it's just because you have all these technologies that, you know, kind of rely on humans uh, this is what makes it vulnerable um, yeah. so that's how like you want to try to utilize technology that doesn't depend on people and but at the same time the throwback if you want to rely on yourself then you want to make sure that you do all the security yourself well
0: right it, i mean it's a really interesting point that you put there right so like a lot of times it's not so much the security of the device or the security of the system that fails it's the entry point you know the the, the point of failure Uh, I guess being at the human, the human level. And so, you know, with that, you know, you you said that what got you really interested is thinking through like smart contracts and so forth. So I love, you know, from your point of view, what, what then did you find when you started discovering and thinking about smart contracts or just how, you know, the code essentially can be responsible for the security? Um, You know, take us through that.
1: Yeah, totally. So I'll talk a little bit about like, you know, the user experience in crypto and like, what are the things kind of, I tried to do to make it better. So one of the yeah. first thing I was kind of annoying back in 2017 when, you know, I participated in some of the ICOs and then um, I wanted to see all the tokens that I owned on my wallet address. But then whenever you, I wanted to see them, I needed to like put all this information like contract address, decimal value, name, symbol. And that was quite hard to also find it and it was just too much manual work. And so what I thought would be really cool. What if we like parse the whole blockchain and then just find, um, tokens that associated with specific address. So in that case, what I did is, you know, I basically wrote that logic to parse the whole blockchain. And then whenever you try to use a wallet, it automatically like automatically show up all the tokens. So this is what the name of the feature we had. So in this case, you gotta like save time for users and all the frustration they had before. And then you show like so much value now because people know like which tokens they have and how much do they um, work. I think you start from like doing small things, small features that help, you know, life uh, better. And then you just iterate. Um, and that's kind of what I've been doing for the past two years, you know, like started small and then trying to iterate and more functionality just simplifies uh, user experience for the people.
0: Right, yeah, because ultimately, uh, it's all about the user experience from the user level. They they just want to make sure that their, you know, their tokens are secure, their Bitcoin secure, um, but, all the ma the auto magic stuff. They just want it to be magic as long as it, it's exactly. safe. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. You definitely want to find a balance between, you know, like security and user experience because there's always going to be a compromise. Um, so I think the goal is always like to make it so it's secure at the same time. It's usable for people because if you put too much you know, security, then it's not usable. Right. So if you have like sure. five passwords on top of it, by the time you get into your wallet, you like forgot the password that you had before. Um, so you want to make sure it's simple enough, and at the same time, it's important to like have the right message for people. You know, it's not for like storing large amount of value for like hot wallets. So if yeah. you want to use or store like large amount of values, you definitely want to use harder wallets. You know, it's more like a common sense for that. So I think like communicating that to users is quite important.
0: Yeah, uh in in that context, do you consider Trust a Wallet to be a, a harder wallet, or do you? How how, how do you? Where do you put that in that realm?
1: Yeah, so currently Trust Wallet is a software wallet, which is uh, by itself a, a hot wallet. So hot wallet means that your wallet has access to the internet, right? Because your phone connected to the internet, they considered to be a hot wallet automatically. Um, so it is possible to build a software wallet that lives on your phone, but it doesn't require it to have internet potentially, because you can con- uh, potentially connect them Uh, and have like two phones, which doesn't have internet and you can make this phone as a cold wallet. So in this Mm -hmm. case, your phone never has internet, but it has ability to like sign transactions from another phone that passes you information like your code, you scan, you sign and you broadcast to the internet. But yeah, I think by by default, most of the software wallets are, uh, hot wallets.
0: Yeah. Just curious in that, uh, example that you just gave, would it be the, the, the phone that was offline, would it just be like via Bluetooth? I give like it to a bluetooth yeah. to the other and then Pretty that much. would go interesting.
1: Yeah and like ideally like if you want to build the right security you want to make sure the only thing that device does it has the ability to take um you know like transaction that you want to sign uh, make sure you like have a confirmation screen and that's it so it doesn't need to have any internet connection whatsoever.
0: Yeah yeah super interesting. Uh there's people that say things like, you know, not your keys, not your wallet, or uh, we, we think about things like mass adoption of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency overall. And there seems to be two different schools of thought. You know, there's some people that say like, hey, we, we need this to have like the best UX ever. And, you know, perhaps there does need to be third party uh, folks that are custodians or so forth for some level of the, the realm. But then there's other people that are like, hey, no, like everything needs to be on a hard wallet or everything needs to be uh, outside of it, and we need to just teach everybody to uh, manage their own Bitcoin or manage their own crypto where Where do you sit in that when you think about it? i mean it, the both sides have their benefits, but it seems like it would be you know for if if we 're really talking about a mass adoption sort of scenario, it seems like it 's probably somewhere in the middle because you know most people aren 't going to have the capacity. or the desire, I would think, to really hold all their information. But one point I like to make is that those that do uh, will probably always have a leg up in the system, right? Like just like someone who understands the inner workings of a network, um, they're going to have a leg up versus someone that's strictly participating in that network. You know, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think I kind of agree with you is that like, it's about the balance where you do want to make sure that, you know, most people have access to this and want to make sure it's like seamless for them to onboard. Um, it's, I don't think it's possible for all the people to have, you know, this 12 phrase, um, and have remember it and never lose it because, you know, the chance that you will lose it is quite high. Like, you know, most of the people who brought into Bitcoin back in 2011, like half of them already lost access to the private key just because they forgot, you know, Uh, their hard drive or something happened to them. I think it would be kind of similar example with here where people on board, you know, did not pay attention to like new rules that you need to have private keys and stuff. So you definitely wanna build a system and security in place where people don't think much about new concepts. So you don't need to explain what a private key is. You can just onboard them and tell like, you know, it's encrypted, here's your password. It's encrypted somewhere, maybe in the cloud. And the the only one who has access to this is you and your password. so that could make it easier for you because you kind of already own your phone. You trust your software that runs on your like iPhone. So maybe it makes sense to have this kind of lower security uh, for people who doesn't need to store like large amounts of money. So if you store like $300, you know, I don't think there's need for like high security, high complexity. So you wanna make sure it's like simple for the user and you know, they have always have access to this.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, right? Like if you're uh just getting if you if you're using it for minimal transactions and you're for small dollar volumes, yeah, right, you know, it needs to be simple uh there for you. Um, yeah, you know, so uh you know, Trust Wallet was acquired by Binance. Was that last year or the year before?
1: Yeah, it was uh, back in 2018, obviously. 2008. So yeah. it was almost 2 years ago.
0: Almost 2 years ago. So, you know, I'd love to how how has how has Trust Wallet changed with the Binance acquisition? And, like, are you, I'm assuming that you're still working on Trust Wallet uh, within Binance, or how, how is that going?
1: Yeah, totally. No, I'm still like focusing on just making crypto accessible, whatever it takes, right? So, and for the past like two years, you know, we made tons of progress. Back in 2007 or 18, or 18 when, you know, the Trust Wallet got acquired by Binance, you know, at that point, we only had like Ethereum wallets, um, you know, for Ethereum and ERC20 tokens, and then two years after, we have like such a you know fulfilling product with all these functionalities where you can store your Bitcoins, you can store your Ripple, and so many other like assets that's available now. But at the same time, we built lots of new functionalities to like do decentralized exchanges, access to different DApps, um, and then just like kind of built different functionalities for all the needs that we had. And we also have you know Fiat on Ramp, so it means that people who come they can also like purchase crypto. And I think those are essential functionalities you want to see in a wallet where any person come in, he doesn't have any knowledge about crypto. He just like purchased like $50 of crypto, start playing with different dApps, exchanges, um, and then he just kind of educates himself in that term.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. so what 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 do you kind of see on the horizon? Uh, you know, you're you're a technologist, and you've you've been having this opportunity to be on the cutting edge. What what are you working on right now, or that you can share that you think is really interesting, or how, how do you think we start to evolve in the space?
1: Yeah, so I kind of see at this point. So we have kind of two practical, like we have one product, practical challenge that we're trying to solve is that okay, we see so many new people coming to trust Wallet. So in the past, you know maybe six months, we're grown by like two, three X. So it means that like whenever, you know, we gain users, then we need to like improve our infrastructure because we need to run different nodes that connect to a different blockchain. So we wanna make sure, you know, people have really reliable service, but at the same time, you know, like gas prices going up by like 10 X by 20, uh, it causes different uh, people to have different issues uh, with like transactions being dropped. So what do we try to do on a practical level to make sure that experience is very smooth and then people pay the, the least possible for transaction fees. Um, and once you have more users, then you have kind of more problems because you know there's more transactions in the pool. So we're trying to optimize this, um, make sure just everything is seamless. But on the other side, like we're trying to invest our time into thinking like, how do, you, how do we improve you know backup process? How do we make sure that people just come in, press one button, don't think about crypto at all and just use Bitcoin? Um, and so this is where we kind of spend our time, but at the same time, it's hard to find solutions that are going to be compatible with other wallets and make sure we kind of seamless, uh, you know, seamless experience and protocols with other projects. So this is where kind of the challenge is to build that uh, standardized uh, protocol. Uh, but besides that, I think it's just, you know, focusing on main use cases that we're trying to bring, you know, purchasing crypto send transfer and just making easier as possible. So instead of having like this hashes or crypto addresses and having like a friendly name. So those small things that matter for the people because whenever you tell your friend like, oh send me to this address, which is my name, and just makes it easier. Um and right. this is where we spend most of our time. Just simplifying those like small functionalities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'd love to shift to um kind of just what's happening in the world, right? it's, it's been a crazy couple months, um, just with what's going on with COVID and then also how um just kind of businesses operating and run. I'm assuming that you're working from home. Um, and, you know, just curious, how, how has uh, what's been happening globally impacted how you've been operating, um, you know, in building and, and, and growing and so forth?
1: Yeah. So for me, I was actually in remote for the past, like almost five years. And then I was running trust for, you know, ten, two and a half years. And we've been always a remote team. So every single person of our team is located in a different city and location. Um, so I don't think that there is much change in terms of like our internal process as running a company, building a product, you know, we still use the same tooling like GitHub, Slack, all together. So I think those are useful tools um, to just be uh, collaborative and efficient. Um, I did notice some, you know, like kind of switches um, because some people said like, oh, you've been remote for such a long time, probably there is no changes for you, but to be honest, I did notice some changes where um, I would be less creative just because I do spend less time uh, going out, you know, going for a ride or travel, um, and those kind of things that gives you more creative, creative, creativity in, in general. So I do feel that you know we're like social humans; we do need to have you know interactions with the real life. Otherwise, we're getting kind of bored and just into ourselves. Um, but besides that, I think everything seems pretty good. Um, you know, just some things in terms of the creativity, creativity that I noticed for myself, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, that is a definitely interesting point, right? It's like when your mind can be still, or when you're, you know, going for a walk, you're going for a drive, you're going out, you're doing whatever that's often when you can be the most creative because you, you know, start to think about what you've been doing throughout your day or what you're working on, or, you know, looking at those problems from a, from a slightly different lens with what's been going on in the global markets uh, from like you know the just the overall uh, financial markets and so forth and you know I'd love to know what your opinion is or how you've been thinking about this right there's been so many bailouts um, of, of money uh, from the Federal Reserve um, the the stock market has been kind of going up and down there's unemployment uh, it just it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty um, and you know Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are kind of starting to uh, get more uh, awareness, call it, or, you know, people are, are starting to, I, I think the best way to say it is people are starting to take it a little bit more seriously. Um, you know, curious on what your thoughts of what you've seen, um, with conversations you're having or, or what you've observed and just your outlook on that.
1: Yeah, no, I would say for sure that this is something that never expected to happen at all. Right. And this will kind of cause lots of different, like, uh, rippling effects, you know, like, you know, there is Fed printing more money, there is more people losing their jobs and uh, to be honest, I don't know like exactly how economics will work. In that case, it definitely will change quite a bit, you know, the whole Economical growth, because when you have so many people not having a job, you know, they're not able to pay their mortgages, their payments. Um, yeah, it will definitely cause uh, many problems. So kind of hard to tell um, where will be coined, but Um, whenever there's any crisis happen, you know, there's always so much innovation uh, come out out of it, right? Because people who, you know, struggling with some problems, they're like, yeah, let's just find solutions for this. Same thing as, you know, there's so many entrepreneurs who's thinking, oh, we're staying home all day. Like, how are we going to do more more efficiently? How are we going to interact with different people? So there's more tooling coming out to like do video conferencing. How do you make sure you see people more often? So there's just so many different ideas that will come out out of it. Um, I personally try to use like Oculus Quest for our team meetings. So which is quite exciting because um, huh. I don't think virtual reality would make sense before as much as it does now, um, because we're now like all kind of close in this ecosystem. So we need to wait to interact with different people. And virtual, virtual reality kind of gives you that sense because you can see different emotions of people um, and just fun to hang out there. Um, but that, that, you know, this is only because of this problem that we have.
0: Right, yeah. If you might have done that before, it, it might have seemed different or awkward. So that's super interesting. So you'll actually put, um, you'll put on your VR gl- glasses and you'll have a team meeting in VR.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, <laughs> I love that. It's quite fun too. So, yeah,
1: yeah. So what we did uh, the last uh, two weeks ago. So we basically went to an app called AltVR. So it's alternative VR where you have different rooms. So there's one room where people have comedies. There's another one where people play. You know, carts against humanity. Um, it's just kind of fun to explore, and you see random people just coming up to you. They, you know, just do you know jokes and stuff. So it's very interesting experience. It's still early on in terms of just um, how it works because quality of the picture is still a little bit low. But I think maybe in like a couple of years it will get so much better, and it will be so more immersive that you wouldn't see the difference between real life and you know virtual reality.
0: Yeah, it'll be like the Matrix. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Have you watched the Matrix while under quarantine by by chance? I actually no. recommend it. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. that's a good idea. I watched it the other day, and I was like, "This is this is really interesting," uh, with the current context. Uh, you know. One thing I would, I'm really curious on your perspective on, you know, being in your cyber security and, and, you know, kind of that background that you have is what are some things that people should be aware of as when it comes to how they are um, interacting online or just their overall security? It seems like there is a lot of uh, opportunity for, you know, bad actors to take advantage in this moment. Uh, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are on on how people can be thinking through that or being aware of it or, you know, things that you might be seeing that people aren't paying attention to?
1: Yeah, I think the main, usually the case is like, you want to expose less information uh, internal on the internet, right? So I think this is a basic rule that will work for anyone. So ideally, the way you get hacked when you expose some data. So if you expose your emails, you expose your data about your data birth, your personal information, you know, Facebook accounts. So this is where all this hacker is trying to find, you know, their targets because they have data. Um, if there is a person who doesn't have any information on the internet, not not even his email, like there is no way he he can even attack him. Uh, so I think the basic rule would be not ever expose any information that you can. Um, you know, there are some people you know who do like public speaking and stuff, so they definitely expose information. Um, but in general, for most people, the more private you stay in terms of just sharing information, the better for you. Um, and that comes down to you know building a software. So you want to make sure your servers are solid and never get hacked. You want to make sure you don't expose anything that's not needed. So only expose those like methods that you know people are using. Um, okay. I think it's kind of the basic rule.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So you know, being that you are, um, you know, you work for essentially the largest um, and probably most well-known uh, exchange right now, and you're dealing with tokens and, and a wallet. I'm curious what your thoughts are on on just kind of the overall banking system. And what I mean by that is what do you think it takes for the banking system to start incorporating, uh, whether that be, you know, cryptocurrency and, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, or is it like their own native and digital currencies um, that they start creating? Like a lot of them are thinking about, you know, companies like JPMorgan Chase or you know even bitcoin as a selling mechanism I'm curious what do you what do you think it takes for these companies or sorry these institutions to start thinking about um crypto in their context
1: yeah i think the main challenge for those bank for the banking industry in general is that um because they have like so many different processes already they're just not able to catch up with the progress so yeah. what it means is like even if they wanted to support crypto, it's just not easy for them to build this infrastructure.
0: Like, yeah, they have so many old rails it. they're basing it off of, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So even like if you want to build this like key management system that will take so many talents to build this functionality to support so many people, you know, here in the US, for example. So it's just like very difficult for them to make those decisions, you know, at the higher level. And then the decision to build that software is also pretty hard. So it's just probably not innovative in that sense. So. I was just chatting with somebody today and they mentioned about like PayPal, how they were able to like, you know, basically take the whole digital market, uh, digital internet money, right? Maybe all the other banks wanted to do it, but at the same time, they just weren't able to catch up with PayPal. PayPal was able to build this like digital money system where you can send it by email and it just kind of worked for them. Uh, Maybe it's, maybe it's the use case with, you know, all these financial institutions right now. Um, Just hard to adopt and build technology that, you know, changes like pretty often. Yeah. If you look at even the Bitcoin, you know, they've been changing protocol, different format for addresses quite often. So I don't think banks are good with like changing anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, um, you know, Victor, what kind of questions do you have? And so I always like to leave um, my interviews with one final question, and that is, you know what what question do you have that you want people to be thinking about as they go about their day as they're you know adjusting to this new uh form of life uh crypto in general what would you release of them
1: no i have a question for you um oh, i think okay. it's just like out of blue um what do you think changed since you know like we went into like this you know form of working from home like what kind of habits changed for you personally what things have you discovered for yourself like new hobbies new habits developed
0: yeah you know it's funny it's, i mean it's a great question i think for me what i've noticed the most is um how similar people are that you might think are at some different sphere than you and so this is kind of what i mean so i you know i produce content and um you know i'm watching things on espn for instance and they're having a similar conversation to you and i right and so it's like you know it kind of made me think in this realm of like hey like you know we're not all as different as we might think um when you when you take out a lot of the layers so that's that's kind of been one realization I've had and so that's actually been really encouraging for me personally in the thought of how I've been thinking about you know producing stuff sure I don't have the audiences that you know some of these larger people have but it's more of like hey like I have the same tools why not try the same thing and so you know I've thought about that in other realms and I do a little bit of uh, coaching and and mentoring to some folks and I've kind of told them the same thing is like hey like the the bar is has been adjusted and so you have this ability now to try things and essentially gain forgiveness that you might not have had in the in the normal in the way things used to be right you know so you know kind of like what you're talking about with the vr um your vr experience is that you 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 know, you totally recognize that the quality is not as good as you'd like it to be. And you, as you mentioned, like you might not have done it before, but you're willing to forgive it based off of like the new dynamic and the new circumstance. So I think that's one of the first things. The second thing I think I've really paid attention to and noticed is that um, it's actually just been a good time to reflect on um, priorities overall. Like I actually haven't been someone that has worked from home. I've always worked from the office. I'm like, I could do this. You know, I could do this. I, I still want to talk and interact with other people, but I, I really do think that companies need to have a, uh, a serious work from home, you know, policy that they think through. And anybody that says like, Hey, you're going to just go back to the old ways is probably going to lose employees. Cause they're going to go to another employer that has more flexibility with that work from home type of scenario. So I think those are kind of like my two big, big takeaways um, overall. Um, but it, it has, it has been a lot of, uh, definitely a lot of reflection. I actually, the last thing has been, um, and, and kind of encouraging to me is that I notice and I realize this might sound too personal, but I notice that a lot of times when I get stressed out, it's actually myself putting on the pressure on myself, if, if that makes any sense. Right. And so, yeah, totally. uh, it's like, here I was thinking that it was these outside things that are giving me the pressure like I don't know family or spouse or work and it's like no it's actually really like my own expectations I set of myself and so I've been trying to just kind of figure that out a little bit it's like wait a second you know it's okay if you don't do things perfectly obviously still try your best but that that's kind of been the fun also (laughs) how about you how about you yeah I
1: think it's very similar um you know like in terms of habits I did try a few new things you know like I've been, mean, uh, you know, doing a little bit of like corner Strike, um, so a little bit of gaming. Only one game though, yeah. um, And then I tried to play darts because I found, you know, the dart board. So I've been playing with that a little bit. So it's kind of nice to like explore things that you haven't done before, yeah. And then you realize now you have it, and you know, like we started, you know, doing a little bit of gardening and stuff. Uh, so we're like growing tomatoes at home. Nice. Um, definitely some things that you know I wouldn't do otherwise. Um, a little bit changing my thinking but i agree with you regarding like the pressure it's all about usually problems within yourself on how much you put into in terms of what you expect from others
0: yeah yeah and sure and i'm a, and, and that's not by by any means to minimize anybody that does have that external pressure but yeah like i said for me personally i just noticed that though of course like everybody i do have external pressures it's it's how i've been intaking it right or like how i decided to to reflect on that no this is great Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, Victor, what's a question that you would have that you would want to uh, ask our audience if they were here with you? Like what's something that they can think about as they go about their day?
1: Oh, interesting. So one question I would ask though, uh, maybe a little bit optimistic, um, why (laughs) you haven't tried virtual reality yet? Um, so that's my question to audience. I think the main reason is, you know, it's a cool technology. So I wonder why people haven't tried it them themselves yeah Um, so this is something for them to think and definitely i would suggest them to try it out when they have chance
0: yeah no that's a great that's a great point and and a great question and what's funny is that i you know i'll answer at least for me is um it it didn't seem necessary but until now i actually had a conversation with my wife um like a week or so ago i was like hey i think we should just get br glasses and and like just try it out we should like why not like the world's changing so yeah, I love to hear what people have to say about that. Well, Victor, yeah, even though
1: it's, it's okay. probably less accessible for most people to get those VR headsets. But, um, you know, it's a question you want to ask why you're not using technology that will be that bigger than an iPhone. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I mean, there's definitely, you know, I think uh, we'll obviously start seeing like, you know, AR headsets or, or glasses, you know, th- there's been a couple of, hints at Apple coming out with some AR stuff. It, it, it's definitely gonna be a part of, of what we're doing. So if you're in technology or you are a technologist, you're right, you probably should be thinking about that in some way, shape or form. Yeah, for sure. Victor, what are some good ways that people can stay in touch with you or follow you uh, overall? Yeah, I think uh, both with Twitter, that would
1: be the only one place I usually publicly um, you know, that communicate.
0: Perfect, what's your Twitter handle?
1: Uh, it's me Up. It's V-I-K-M-U-U-P.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, Victor, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to, to have this interview with me. Um, you know, we were talking about having you up here for one of our recent conferences and sorry, obviously we couldn't, couldn't do that, but I'm glad we got a chance to, to catch up here. Yeah,
1: thank you for having me. And maybe next time we might do it in VR. Who knows?
0: Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to explore it. I'll, I'll definitely explore the VR. Uh, everyone, thank you to, for listening to another episode of the TF podcast. Please make sure that you are subscribed on whatever channel that you're listening to this on. Uh, and also, uh, please give us a, a, a review. Uh, let us know what you think, uh, good or bad. Uh, fill in those stars. And uh, we're, we're, we'd appreciate it if you could share this uh, with your friends and colleagues. Uh, you can follow me at at JG product on Twitter. And you can learn more about what we're doing at, at TFLabs.io. Thanks so much. And we'll see you all soon.